Hello and welcome to the Commune Podcast. This time we will be talking about Sins of a Solar Empire Rebellion. As always, you're part of the discussion, so if you want to join in, uh, just call our toll-free number. This time we have yourself, Adrian, and Fox with us. Fox, how are you doing? I'm very good. All right. Adrian, how are you feeling? Tired, but getting, but I won't pass out this time, I swear. All right. <laughs> uh, yourself, are you about to pass out? Mm, no, I'm enjoying a game of Sins of a Solar Empire. Yeah, I saw uh, someone signed into Steam just as I was checking out Revengeance. Um, so, Fox, give us your RTS history. It's pretty limited, actually. Um, I, I think my first one was something called Kingdom Under Fire, which was some generic real-time strategy game with uh, humans, and I think some... I don't know if it's just orc race or some other fantasy race, uh, but that's where it starts. And then moved on to StarCraft, and then nothing until this. Okay. So you... You kind of knew the basics, but uh, didn't have too much. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really an expert at it, but a lot of the knowledge transfers pretty well, I think. Okay. Uh, Adrian, I'm, I'm made to understand that you have little to no RTS experience. That's right. In fact, I'm a little surprised at how similar I kind of feel that I am with Fox. I thought he was actually way more experienced than I was, but uh <laughs> looks like I got the wrong impression. Um <laughs> Yeah, mine was like StarCraft 64 way back. <laughs> StarCraft 64. But, but, yeah. I've heard bad things. Over, well, that was later my... levels being like really hard as hell. StarCraft 64 <laughs> and, was hard yeah, as hell? I, yeah, well for me it was. But um, the, but the thing is my memories on that are so uh, blurry that... um. Just like I the N64 resolution. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even remember what the fucking factions are. But, um, yeah, so this is the first, I would say, real RTS that I'm actually uh, playing and getting into. Okay. And yourself, uh, you've played a decent amount of RTSs, right? Yeah, although I, too, started on StarCraft 64. Um. Yeah, I played. Uh, I've played a good deal of StarCraft. Obviously, eventually off the N sixty four, Age of Empires two. I played a lot of Dawn of War, uh, the expansions for Dawn of War, um, shoot, uh, Company of Heroes. Company of Heroes might be my favorite, okay. um, and like three or four Command and Conquer games. All right. And myself, I have no... Well, I played like the first mission in StarCraft, and aside from that, I have no RTS experience. Uh, so, Sins of a Solar Empire. Uh, I was jumping in the deep end, it kind of felt like. Um, I think I might want to correct myself. Yeah. Uh, because yourself and I did have a talk about figuring out what the hell RTS that I played with my friend in college... Because I kept saying Age of Empires 4, but that game doesn't exist. It was actually <laughs> Age, of Empires, Age of Empires 3. <laughs> and yeah, I played one game of that. I got the hang of it pretty quickly. So that is the only other RTS I played. Right. And I think it's been 
two, three years since I played it. But um, yeah, more my memories are more vivid on that than StarCraft 64. Okay. And so most of us have very sparse experience with RTS games, and we're not very well-versed in talking about them. But there's also the problem that Sins of a Solar Empire doesn't comfortably sit within the RTS genre. Um, there is an emphasis on expanding and exploring, and with Rebellion they add details like diplomacy. So it's almost like a real-time 4X rather than a straight-up real-time strategy game. And for both of those reasons, I just wanted to get down to it very simple talk about what you can do in the game and how you win, how the game is structured. Um, just something to ground us in ways that we in, intuit for other games like puzzle games or platformers. So I went back to Richard Terrell's uh, outline for parsing video games and he he has four basic components for video games. Mechanics, interplay, Variation and Counterpoint. Mechanics are the actions you perform. Interplay are the potential reactions to your actions. Variation is the amount of difference between different game elements, such as mechanics or enemies or what have you. And Counterpoint are concurrent, quote, game ideas, which is basically to say uh, challenges or you know, gameplay things going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. So Adrian... Um, a mechanic is a, an action that you perform that affects the game state. And do you have an example of where we might find mechanics and sins? Yeah. And naturally, mechanic would be for researching things. That's, that is a mechanic in the game. Moving units, naturally, that's also a mechanic. Um, building things, that's also a mechanic. So tell me, and if you were, just tell me, um, how do you move something? Select a unit, you know, click, drag, left click, drag, or just left click, and then left click on the point you want to move them. That's how you select it. All the clicks themselves, like that's the part not to be confused with the mechanic, and I think that's the one important thing with. Um, Richard's definition is that clicking through a menu isn't actually a mechanic. What's also important in what you just mentioned is that all of the mechanics are from a god perspective. Yeah. So uh, can you explain what that means? Or actually yourself, is that something you'd be more comfortable discussing? Uh, I can take a stab at it. Um, I guess this is something... Well, never mind. I won't start talking about genres. Um, I guess a god perspective would be uh, a way of distributing player control such that um, they're not tied to any one active avatar within the game. Um, The player has no avatar. They are um, able to affect, able to directly affect the state of... um, like uh, multiple different in-game entities. It's like a distributed sense of control. Mm-hmm. The way I always imagine it is that uh, on your home planet, 
there's some commander looking at a computer terminal, and he, like, sends email orders or something. You know, go to this planet, and then, you know, because of the magic of technology, your unit instantly receives the order and decides to go there. It's interesting that you phrase it that way, because that is almost literally how it's presented email and all in, like, Romance of the Three Kingdoms uh, and Koei games, where, like, each territory you may have, or, or the player commands a set of generals, and they can designate the generals um, to whatever responsibilities, or designate responsibilities to the generals, and either you can tell the general to make decisions according to their best judgment and essentially let the game play out on its own or you can tell the generals to take individual actions with their turn so like it might take a general five of his turn points to um, raise an army or something like that okay and Fox um, can you name a more complicated mechanic than moving more complicated than moving uh so i actually wanted to step, take a step back for a second and, and sort of ask you to clarify what you mean by game state um is that just sort of like the game board itself while being like in our case it would be the whole system and then in, in specifics it would be the uh, planetary well we have direct influence over yeah the game state can be summed up as the game board and because time influences the state of the game board, that comes into it as well. Right, a state is a collection of all the attributes of an element, and the game state is a collection of all the states of all the elements. Yep. So okay. a mechanic can be something that influences a unit's position or attributes or whatever. So I'm trying to think of this right. as a board game, and then what I do as a player to influence the board. Um Mm-hmm. So there, there's, there's very basically moving units around. Uh, the more interesting part is developing your planet and and, and conquering planets, I think. So what's something and you can do to conquer a planet? Send a missionary ship over to colonize it. Uh, you've changed the state so that a planet goes from being neutrally owned or owned by someone else to something you own, which directly influences your rate of income production and... The immediate access to things you can you can build upon, so you'll not have access to uh, crystal ores or metal ores or, or other things you've got access to. Okay. So I, I think um, something inherent in what Fox is describing is that, and this might be part of the trait of a god game as well. Um, the elements behave autonomously. So when I say behave, I don't necessarily, or I mean they actually have actions that they can perform autonomously. And so, for instance, um, by the strictest definition of a mechanic as something that the player does, the player doesn't actually conquer a planet. The missionary vessel does by using its colonized skill. And the player can uh, set that to automatically cast, or the player can... um, set that to manually cast, uh, which those would be mechanics. Um, And then the player can send the missionary vessel to a planet's gravity well. Um, So that's a movement command that's a mechanic. So then 
by that sense, there's actually a lot less uh, direct mechanic influence than I had thought of. There's moving units, directly commanding units, if that option is available, and then buying, selling certain uh, resources. Right. So I would say that the mechanics in this game are pretty easy to sum up because mm-hmm. it's anything that you can click on in the menu that is a command. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would include like, research or setting fleet capacity as well. Yeah. I mean, if you select just a... Yeah, sure. If you select a single ship, you can see it has attack, it has stop, it has move, and it has... Well, tactics management is a sub-menu, so that's not a mechanic. Um, right. But those are three mechanics or three commands that translate into mechanics because they immediately affect uh, the state of uh, that selected ship. So, Fox, do you think this term mechanics is useful for thinking about sins? Thinking about sins strategically, I don't know if it gives me that much help. Um, Thinking about it on a more, I guess, if I'm wondering how how it's... uh, Hmm... I'll, I'll just say that strategically, I don't think it helps me out very much. Um, sort of breaking out, breaking down the game into ideas, so I can analyze just different aspects of it. That's very helpful. Yeah, that um, I was about to say, I, I wouldn't have known how to respond to that question because right. it was basically that the question you asked was kind of a, was a little weird. Mm-hmm. So, Agent, I, that, I think based on like the last two words I heard of what you said, um, the gist of it might have been that. Uh, the idea of mechanics is an abstract descriptor of the game, but um, it doesn't necessarily need to um, like have a meaningful application to a game. I guess, yeah. The simplest, the simplest way I can put it is that a mechanic is like ex- extremely low level. Like it's the most low level thing of a game, and it's just the starting point at where you can go to understand a game. As far as like Fox was talking about strategies on that things, that's when we're going to start getting into the other stuff like with interplay and variation of which they are built on mechanics. So, so you know, we work our way up. I would think at least that mechanics are less useful for thinking about sins than they would be for something like Shinneketsu Koha, where when you discuss mechanics in Shinneketsu Koha, you can discuss the kick takes so many frames, uh, reaches out so wide, and so you can compare the mechanics and say, you know, the kick is better than the punch in this scenario, and we can line up all the frame data and whatever. Whereas I don't think that's as something that is as easily applicable in Sins. Um, I think that a lot of the action or the mechanics we've described are generic, so you say, for instance, doing research. Well, look at all the different research you can do. So, I mean, if you wanted to define them as mechanics, I guess you would have to differentiate all of them because they all affect different states and whatnot. But from a player perspective, the process of commanding something is, like, abstracted from exactly what the elements or the properties of the elements that are going to be affected are. Like, telling a ship to move really depends heavily on what ship you're telling to move. If so, you send, as Fox described, if you send a missionary vessel to a planet, it does something completely different than if you send a light vessel to a planet, yet it's the same mechanic. So what you're getting at is that there are, like, classes of mechanics where buying a ship 
is performed the same way, but then each instance of buying a ship has a different effect on the game state. I'm not sure if classes is the way I'd describe it. I just think it's that what we've said that mechanics are not that <clears throat> uh, meaningful way of looking at a strategy game because it's so like you could define an individual class of mechanics for or an individual mechanic for buying a light frigate or buying a colony frigate or whatever, but then that's just defining every single player action as a separate thing, and the player already knows that every single action is a separate thing. Okay. There's also the fact that mechanics are, again, maybe this ties into what you'd call God perspective. Mechanics are, in this situation, state neutral. So, in like as you said, in Shinniketsu Koha, if you're um, moving while you, or if you're running while you kick, it or press the B button, it might do a different thing than if you're standing and press the B button. I guess that's, those are two different mechanics. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that you can always do all the same things. It doesn't matter if you're, you have ships in the middle of combat or something, you can still give them all the same commands you could otherwise. Right. I just need a refresher and remember like, what the original question was. Cause, um, we were considering cause, whether um, or not mechanics are a useful term for thinking about sins. I would say straight yes, and the thing is, like, even if you don't want to use the word, it's like we're always going to be thinking about those basic actions and how they build up to those, you know, strategies that we use. Because I mean, whether or not whether you want to or not, you are considering that this is a game with a build mechanic, a move mechanic, a research mechanic, all those other things. Like, how in detail we need to look at them? Like, are they individual? Are they dynamic? All that may not matter as much, but that they are things in the game that change the game state. Like, that's always a consideration, no matter what game you're talking about. Sure, that makes sense. So, (laughs) this doesn't necessarily need to be a redefinition, but mentally, I guess, and in writing and speaking, I've always used the term mechanics a bit differently than the Richard Terrell definition, um, and it... I guess maybe comes from the fact that I have history playing a lot more than um, just action games, where to me a mechanic is a way that any element can affect the state of the game. Um, So, for instance, the colony ship being able to colonize a planet, like, that's a mechanic. It's not a player mechanic, um, but it belongs to a sort of super class of... Um, interactions that include what anything can do to anything else. Um, so in a strategy game, I think that that's what you end up looking at a lot more. Like, what is the AI going to do in this situation? What is, um, like, what can this ship do to affect this other ship? Um, because so much of it is ultimately going to be... Um, at a lower level than the player is actively controlling. Right. The idea that someone is flying around in the colony ship and he pushes the colonize button, like, that would be a mechanic for him. Yeah, and even at the, like, not, without even getting into anything sin-specific, when you give a move command, that inherently is an abstract command that you give that translates into, 
like the unit flies at a certain speed in that direction. And the speed might be what's uh, important there or how the unit's going to route. Of course, in SIN's routing, it's not very important. That's the kind of thing that, that's, I think, the level at which interesting things happen. Okay. Yeah, I brought uh, I brought that up earlier too when I said um, the mechanics is the mechanic at least the way um, we're using for this podcast that is actions you perform that affect the game state like that's just a really low level thing and it's really when we get to interplay and variation and all the things you were talking about that that's when we that that's what we shoot for like we start the mechanics work up to interplay then variation and then counterpoint each of which starts off with mechanics, which is, you know, those basic things. And then we work out to talk about the more complex ones. I guess maybe because I come from a programmer's perspective, to me, like, the way that individual elements can interact with each other is lower level than any of those things. Once you bring a player into it, to me, that raises the discussion to a higher level. And so, in a game of chess, like, you need to talk about the rules of the game before you care about how the player moves each piece. Okay. Um, that, and I think and, and I think he actually does cover that, and that's things like rule systems and dynamics and things like that that isn't actually here. Right. But, yeah, uh, I don't, yeah, no, I I'm, get, not, I'm not suggesting that, like, this is an insufficient definition. Like I said, there's no reason that mechanics should be defined my way or Richard's way or anything. That's just... I was just bringing up a different class or a way of uh, categorizing that I think... Um, or is that the way I look at things? All right. Um, no, that's fair. I th- <laughs> moving on. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so our next definition is interplay, which are the potential reactions to your actions. And Fox, could you name a moment of interplay that happened in Sins of a Solar Empire? Reactions to my actions. So that's something... Well, uh, I... I'm always finding myself getting bogged down in definitions. So the, 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 for, so the biggest thing I'm thinking of is I create a Titan, and an announcement is made across all the players saying such and such super powerful unit was created, um, which is a direct reaction to something I did that will have an influence on all of the players playing. Um, is that not within the context? So, yeah, I I could have phrased this definition a little better. This is something that would, you know, I, I suppose that announcement actually would be a moment of interplay in that it affects the knowledge of each of the players and it influences how people play the game. Um, but typically, interplay is discussed as uh, an interaction between two game elements. So what's a, what's, a, what's a good example of this? So, like, most generically, maybe in, like, Super Mario Brothers, if... Mario makes contact from the side with a Goomba. Mario dies, so that's a basic instance of interplay, right? Okay, yeah. so mechanic is just the various ways you can control <laughs> someone. Interplay is when something interesting happens. And hang on, hang on, let me phrase it a little differently. Um, so Mario running into a Koopa and dying—not quite interplay. That's a one-step interplay. Yeah, because it's it's he hits you, you die. Or yeah, but um, you know stuff like Mario jumps on the Koopa. The Koopa retracts into its shell, which it can wake up and still run over to hit Mario. That's interplay of which Mario can also still kick the shell of which the Koopa 
but can rebound off a wall and still hit Mario again. That's another form of interplay. Like that's what it is by counters. So it's one and, uh, element of I, the game changing the state of another element, right? Yeah. So the I, most I, important I, thing is um is think think of it like counters is like the easiest way to think of interplay. Counters. I'm not oh, sure I understand what you're saying. So you know how in a fighting game, if you try to attack someone, you can counter that by blocking. Sure. Kind of like that. Wait, I don't understand so, how that's interplay. Is that a reaction? Do we have um? Can you read the definition? Actually, it's, it even says counters. Yeah. Counters. It points to the article, which says something different, though. Interplay, just for our purposes, you know, whether or not Richard Terrell intended them to be defined this way. Um, let's just stick to game elements influencing the state of other game elements. And Fox, can you name a, a time when that happens in Sins of a Solar Empire? I'm still trying to, to visualize what this is. I'm sorry. So, so that would be I, like a, when a ship shoots at another ship, the ship's HP uh, decreases. So I've, I've put my a mechanic. I've clicked on my ship. I've clicked on another ship. So that signifies the machine to the, the unit attack this ship. The interplay is the ship approaches the other ship and begins firing. Right. Causing the other ship to take damage. Right, the it's when the ship takes damage that you have interplay, because that's like completing the link of the interaction between those two things. Okay, so I, I think I'm getting it as, as as sort of the next step after a mechanic has been executed. Yeah, right, you generally. might say it's the result of a mechanic, assuming it doesn't miss or something like that. Okay. I put the definition that he actually uses in the article. Okay, so I think that, I think I get that. Um, so, so to me, then it seems like almost everything in this game is, is interplay, which makes sense. Um, yep. Meaning, meaning you you generally command your units to go somewhere, and a lot of the game is is the AI being clever enough to know which units to attack on its own, or you saying I don't I don't I don't appreciate that go somewhere else. <laughs> right. Um, every 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 moment you try to press your advantage against them and then they try to turn it around and then you try to turn that back around on them that's pretty much interplay which is pretty much you know strategy games in a nutshell i don't know if you can find a single strategy game that doesn't have that or any right. game really so fox you mentioned an interesting aspect of interplay um yeah and that the ai will determine for you if you don't explicitly say what unit to attack and that's right. also kind of what we were talking about with um, some u- units will auto-cast colonize. Yep. And so interplay is, uh, unless you play on a granular level where you're telling individual units to attack individual units, um, a large portion of the interplay is determined by the AI. Yeah, it is. Um, and and that really makes sense for a game like this. Uh, you can't be expected to to since, especially since there aren't turns. You can't be expected to micromanage everything. Right. That helps you deal with the scale of the game because the maps can be so many tens of planets wide, and yeah. because um, it's in real time. You simply can't invest that many resources in anything. Mm-hmm. That much time in anything. Yourself, do you think that's a, a useful way to think about sins? Um, you mean that interplay is carried out on an AI level? Or j- just the term interplay itself? Hang on. I think it just needs to be clear if we all know what 
you know, interplay supposed to mean? Interplay is one gameplay element influencing the state of another gameplay element. Right. And it's fair um, for our considerations anyway to think of it as um, what we said in Sins about how we're always trying to change the situation to it's always our, our, always our favor. <laughs> so that, you know, because you're trying to win. Yeah. And the uh... way you use those game elements to turn the situation into your favor, which you can understand as a counter. Right, so uh, the the idea from beginning to end is that you have certain goals for reaching a win state, and you might just say, I'm only considering a military victory. So a military victory entails a certain state where your opponent doesn't have a capital anymore. And so interplay is the way by which you influence gameplay elements to have a favorable state to you. Mm -hmm. If we were to list out the interplay in Sins... (laughs) We'd be here forever. (laughs) Yeah, so would it just be essentially like a damage chart? I mean, if if we just talk about... If we strictly talk about combat, yeah. Strictly talking about... um, it is one way. Of, it is a, a helpful way of looking at the interplay. You because also you know have which, space, right? Units have range. That is true, right? It doesn't. So, it, yes, Fox. So, if I were to if I were to break this definition down as, as small as I could, I'm thinking when two game elements share information, is that does that sound valid? Sure. That is sure. probably correct because I, I can't think of anything more all encompassing. Then two game elements. I mean, it's, they're interacting, but at a deeper level, they're sharing information. And and f- in this set, in, in this game, there's a lot of that. Um, like the the mechanic of moving one unit near another has a, a ton of different interplays. Um, if you choose, if you click on, if you click on your unit, then click directly on another unit. That's your unit going to the other one and initiating attack. So there are two possible interplays there. There's one the uh, other units being fired upon, which triggers some sort of reaction to that, either fire back or retreat. And then there's a second interplay where one unit is approaching another unit, which has the same sort of uh, process following that. Uh, what do I do because this unit is approaching me? So I'm trying to think mm-hmm. of this in terms of the reactions of elements sharing information with another. So you might imagine okay. that there's two units. They're opposed to each other. They both have these like invisible circles around them. And when those circles intersect, they pop off some uh, automatic reaction. Correct. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The it key wouldn't word be when there the circles that, intersect, that, would it? It would be when one circle intersects the other unit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. If we were talking about, for instance, aggro range, you don't aggro when you're in, <laughs> when your aggro ranges <laughs> cross over. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think the the key word that helped me understand, and Fox's example was also helping me what he meant by sharing information was, you know, when they oppose each other. So, yeah. Yeah, you're right, Fox. That is at its most simplest. Okay. So I think that um, maybe likewise to likewise the mechanics, I feel like there are two levels of this going on, where there's the level at which uh, one ship shooting another one affects its HP, but also the level at which that affects an AI player. So if an AI player sees my ship is taking damage, 
that will have some effect on their gameplay, right? Right, so that if I yeah. see um, I had 10 units, now I have 9, that tells me I gotta build a new unit, and so I click the build. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a delayed or abstracted sense of interplay. So yeah, I mean that's, because there's also a level at which it influences the unit AI, because you know, you can set your ships shoot, I actually don't know if you can set your ships to retreat in this, so maybe this is not a good example of sins. You can send them wherever you want on the map, right? No, but I mean, um, oh yeah, actually here's an example. Um, if like a missionary vessel is taking damage, it will run away oh. from whatever is shooting at it. I didn't know that. That's why a lot of times you'll see them being shot at in like the very fringe of the gravity well, because they won't leave the system. <laughs> uh, but they'll run away other than that. So that's an effect on the like um, element AI as well. So it does happen think, at more um, levels than just like taking away health. Right. I think a good um, a, actually it probably would have been helpful if I reread through all these articles because in his in part six of his interplay article, he actually displays like all the basically these scales at which this happens, one from being like base level mechanics, then to tactics, then to strategy, then to gambit, and then matrices. I if I, I forgot what the hell that was, but um, right. So, but basically, it's it's what yourself was basically just saying. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I think at the level of tactics, then. This is something I think I discussed with most of you guys before. I think interplay is universal. Like, anytime one player observes the other player doing something, like, it doesn't even have to be an element interaction. Just that I see your mm-hmm. unit moving towards my planet will, yeah, affect what I think and do. Right. That's just because it's a symmetrical game. That's not even because it's a strategy game. That's because each player has the same mechanical abilities available to them. And if one player doing something didn't have any ability to affect the tactics of the other player, then it would be an inherently pointless action, right? Yeah. There's also... That's a good point. And we also need to remember that like, um, most of the time when we're talking about interplay here we're talking about action games and that is more at the mechanical level whereas the nature of a god game and the nature of Simmons of a solar empire with ai and all that is that most of what we're concerned with is at a higher level right so like the as adrian just said something like the action the tactics tactics the gambit level or whatever yeah Yeah, something like that (laughs) some hierarchy of terms that could probably be swapped around or um so like the action level is since that's controlled entirely by ai that's like not something we really look at that much exactly yeah i mean i guess that to me is maybe i'd have to think about it harder but that seems like fundamentally what makes a strategy game a strategy game and an action <laughs> game an action game sure okay now, before we continue on with the podcast, I want to interject a bit of a recording I held with Richard afterwards that's relevant to the topic of interplay. There's going to be another one of these at the end of the podcast as well. 
All right, here we go. Sorry. Just so, so we can get this clear, uh, Richard, can you define interplay for us? Okay, so interplay is essentially the game rules that define and govern the interactions between specific game elements. And these and these particular interactions are for uh, they have a counter play counter operative function, right? So it can be as simple as when two bullets hit each other, there's a line of code that says these two bullets nullify each other. That's interplay, right? They're getting in each other's way. They're stopping each other's progress. There's something about the function of the elements that gets altered, canceled, or changed because of these very specific interactions. And a lot of times, it's as natural as thinking when you punch something, it needs to go into a I am punched state. If I shoot something, it takes damage. Just very basic rules that we already understand. But uh, thinking about them in terms of the very specific interaction that's being highlighted is important okay so and this is a question yourself asked me and is kind of when i got tongue-tied is what is a counter yeah a counter is just uh something that inhibits redirects or stops a the function of some other element right so if there is an element that is continually popping out goombas right super mario brothers those pipes that continually shoot out goombas you may counter it by walking close enough to the pipe that triggers a very specific rule that says if Mario is standing so many pixels close to this pipe, do not spit out any more Goombas. Uh, or if Mario destroys the pipe because he's giant Mario, then obviously do not spit out any more Goombas. <laughs> so there are just lines of codes that dictate and govern specific functions as defined by the game. Um, usually we think of counters as you know, doing things that stop people from trying to win, trying to beat you, which is a good way of thinking about it. But really, interplay is a little bit more broad in that it's just the rules that affect anything in the game, whether or not you specifically think of it as trying to get in your way or trying to ruin your day or beat you or anything like that. It's a lot, it's a lot broader and softer of a term. Okay, thank you. Now I have this recording. I can just link to this part if that question <laughs> ever comes up again. Thank you. Oh, one other thing, because, um, see, we always had examples of Mario, but now it's just getting me or helping us understand interplay for a strategy game, mm -hmm. uh, like say a turn-based strategy game, like Advance Wars, cause I love Advance Wars. Mm -hmm. Like w what would the interplay of that be? Because you don't think of it the same way where it's just like direct mechanics, you know, Goomba runs towards Mario, Mario jumps over it or whatever. So yeah. what would it be for something where you have more indirect control of many units, you know, like in Advance Wars or in RTS? Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, the uh, the real timiness of it doesn't really matter. At some point, the elements in the game have to interact. So we got to look at the rules of what happens when they try to do so. Some of the most basic types of interplay that I love in Advance Wars is the fact that you cannot move your units through enemy units and vice versa. So depending on what kind of units you're up against, you can create formations and walls and blockages to where you force their units to move around you, which can create pockets of opportunities and openings for some of your weaker, vulnerable units to sneak through enemy lines without being attacked directly, which is pretty cool. But that basic rule of saying you can't move through enemy units sets up a lot of interplay and counterplay opportunities in the actual gameplay. But it's a really basic rule that everybody understands. Um, Beyond so that, the, uh, go ahead. 
so the interplay there is just literally that a unit can't move through another unit. Yeah, it's like, a single makes... line of code. <laughs> and right, but then it ripples forward and impacts your gameplay choices, and so like the mm-hmm. impact of the interplay is almost more interesting than the interplay itself. Yeah, like every, every for the most part, the emergent possibilities and the strategy should far be more interesting and numerous than the actual underlying rules. That's why people like the concept of easy to learn, hard to master. The, the essential rules involve the complexities relatively low, but as you continue to think about the consequences and all of its different combinations, it just explodes exponentially, right? That's what people like in general. Nice. So I'm wondering, Richard, are the, what have you played any RTSs? I played StarCraft II a lot when I was a kid. Um, I played some Wait. wacker. You played what? StarCraft One a lot. Uh, StarCraft One. I keep the Brood <laughs> War in StarCraft Two because uh, I, I got. I'm, I just think of Brood Wars too because it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all right. <laughs> I played StarCraft One a lot in 2000 for like a whole summer and then some. And I watched, you know, the esports and the rise of esports along with StarCraft. I've played a lot of goofy RTS type games on DS and and Wii and GameCube and stuff. So mostly StarCraft. Okay, so this might be a bit of a huge question to ask, but or because I basically want to ask you like the interplay of StarCraft because one of the things that after hearing you talk about Advance Wars that kind of just now. Holy crap, now I don't, again, don't know how to talk about this game. Is the fact that units don't really block each other because it's a space game. You know, there's a lot of open space and units are kind of really small and they're almost almost to scale with, like, the size of the planets. So using units to, like, block off where other units could go isn't really a thing in that game. So I'm thinking... Yeah, it still if... happens. In a typical game of StarCraft, what you see in their openings is they try to get as robust of an economy as possible while creating a flexible defensive offensive force. This typically involves building units to um, block off your entryway. So a lot of StarCraft maps are designed with very narrow, like two block width entryways up into their base and only one or two entrances, right? So um, players will either use buildings to block off most of that space and then only have a narrow passage to where their own units can get through and they literally put a unit in between their buildings to, and it creates a solid wall that opponents can't get through and so, yeah they create they do that all the time as a standard strategy so the parallel in sins of a solar empire would be having like your home planet where you build all of the important stuff you're doing research and you you have a good economy and then you have outlying worlds like next to your planet with heavy defenses and so for any enemy force to get to your gooey center home planet, they have to travel through these really hard uh, defensive planets where they'll take big damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, Richard hasn't played it, I don't think so. But yeah, I, 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 can, I can contest to that. that um, it's mostly putting a huge amount of defensive defense on one planet because the map is still organized in, you know, the phase lanes. Which are, right, what's you know, interesting... One-directional. Um... Your typical RTS like StarCraft, you'll have full range of the of two dimensions, whereas in Sins of a Solar Empire, um, each planet within itself will give you two-dimensional gameplay, but then um, you only have certain predefined lanes for getting from one planet to the next. 
and so there's like a like a like a linchpin kind of thing going on yeah um other question is outside of say combat between units oh richard just answered the count i was i wanted to save that one for uh, after i finished with interplay but mm -hmm. thank you um how would you describe the interplay between things outside of combat like economy because i feel like that is a place where interplay occurs because you played start well advanced wars kind of has that too i guess um so like there's no direct thing that you can do um across the map to affect your opponent's economy that's just a resource that they can optimize they have to manage on their own um, the most direct way to affect your opponent's economy is by attacking their workers in a game like StarCraft. So, like, mm. the point is to get deep enough into their base, find out where their nexus or whatever is, their command center, their hive, uh, their lair, and then attack their workers because those are literally the little units going back and forth, collecting the resources to give to the army, right? So it's a, what I really like about StarCraft in that way is they have a very organic and visual way of understanding your opponent's the heart of your opponent's uh, resource gathering right the heart of their economy and by attacking that you give you you pay yourself dividends because for every worker they lose they have to both build another worker get it to the right spot and then start mining and that even the time they spend building the new workers even if they're rich is a huge loss uh, it sets them back on the economy curve if you will and you know Serlin wrote a whole article series about the was it? a college course in berkeley yeah yeah about starcraft and how they t you know teach you the underlying calculus behind these um the many of the calculations that happen in rts games like starcraft and a little bit about the the curve and the, the rates of stuff and it's just really interesting but essentially everybody knows if you blow up some of their stuff it's going to set them back and that's essentially all you need to know to play <laughs> So in here you say it now, I I definitely overthought it. <laughs> and since your economy is much more directly influenceable because you like you know your homeworld has just as many resources as any other planet in the solar system, so a large part of the game is going out colonizing planets and taking metal from planets exterior to your homeworld. And so if someone wants to screw with your economy. They can take one or two of your planets, and suddenly you're making ten less credits per per second. Hmm. Yeah, it's in since Solar Empire, it's mainly just taking away planets, or if you can't take away the planets, blowing up their trade ports, destroying their frigate factories, destroying structures basically, because those are the things that either make them money or make them units. So, yeah, that's the interplay to economy there, or interplay to uh, logistics. I guess is the other word for it that is a good point um i will bring up counterpoint later so let's continue on with the video next up is variation and quite simply and intuitively this is just how different one thing is from another and richard specifies that what we consider variation is on a, on some level arbitrary because we have to say at this point it's a meaningful difference um like if if one ship is the same as another ship but it only takes one less crew member, you might not consider that a point of variation because they're so darn similar. So, uh, Fox, um, how much variation would you say there are in the um, 
in the ship units? Um, okay, variation. So, how many units are there in that? So there's there's a there's a first way you're gonna think about the unit differences, and that's in combat because the way we've been playing it is is essentially as a combat game. So the, the first unit first uh, unit difference is going to be in their attack of power and that chart of what they're stronger or weak against. Uh, so that's the first mm-hmm. thing you're gonna notice is difference between the units. Uh, the second thing, which is also very important, is what what their I suppose ability is. But now that I think about that, there's really... It's kind of a spin... It's a variant of that same thing. The only abilities are colonize a planet or attack something better or worse than something else. So I think that's about the only variation I can think of right now. There's also build time, right? For structures? Or, oh, for a, for, a, for a unit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's a very good one. If I'm to add on to Fox's point, the unit cost is another element of variation. So when building your fleets, right, it's units, definitely something you consider. Units have basically four resources that you need to go into them. Uh, the time, the money, the crystal, and the metal. You can consider a fifth for research, which also takes time, money, crystal. Actually, a more literal fifth is fleet credits. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Capacity. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. And Adrian. Did you? Sorry. Did you hear me say fleet capacity? I think I might have dropped out for a second. Yeah, we got. You did, but capacity. we still caught enough of it. Okay. <laughs> um. So, Adrian, how meaningful would you say? Uh, there's like eight different units, right? There. Yeah. Sorry, there's like eight, eight different units, but. Did- do you mean that literally, or do you mean with Sorry. this sense of variation? Eight different frigates. Okay, yeah, because I was going to say there are way more than eight. <laughs> uh, just, just speaking about the frigates, because I know there's a lot more, um, is there a meaningful difference between each of the eight? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you have your main... What, you go. No, you were about to go into what I was asking. Oh, what, like what the differences between them are? Yeah. And it, yeah, is that each of them serves a distinct purpose. So you don't have like two similar combat, basic like close combat type ships. No, mm-hmm. it's like you have one clo- one life frigate, you know, your main kind of bread and butter ship unit that's easy to produce. Then you have your long range one. Then you have the one that's just for colonizing. It's not really meant for fighting. One just for scouting about, just for getting information. Mm-hmm. Did I mention the one for blowing things up? No. Okay, so yeah. after after the scout is just for one for blowing planets up, and then you have another for yeah. basically anti anti flak frigates, yeah, which are the small strike crafts that um the cruisers carry. So yeah, that's really interesting. and then you get that unique interplay chart between you know strike craft being obnoxious to other types of ships. But then you have literally anti them, of which you know your life frigates can easily kill those things, and long range missile. For wait, no, they don't. I was about to say life frigates counter long range, the long range ones, but I don't remember if that's actually true. Okay, I think it's that. Ex- uh, wait, sorry, what were you saying? Uh, light frigates counter long range. Uh, long range missile frigates have uh, like class zero armor, so anything counters them. Huh. Yeah, I need to. I should have brushed up on that <laughs> before coming to this. 
So yourself, there. the the point is just that there's a, a wide variety of variation. Or yeah, it's a great. Sentence. Yeah, the, the um. fact that you have <laughs> units, the fact that you have units able to counter each other, and that say this unit strong against this one, but they're not strong against this other one. Like that kind of variation is you know enough to say that they have variation. So yourself, I was wondering if you could abstract that a little for us and say. Eight types of frigates is just a drop in the bucket for sins out of the whole constellation of units, and yet in Mario Kart 64 we get a whole game's worth of variation out of just eight racers. So, what accounts for the huge amount of variation in sins? So I feel like the issue is that variation like matters on the very granular level. Like when you talk about, um, or when you're in the process of defining it, you said like at some level lower than X, um, you know, we don't really care about variation. I can't think of a lot of examples where that... What's an example where that's true? Or, like, you said you used an instance from oh. Sins, but don't use something from Sins, because... So if, um, we, if we take the first level in Super Mario Brothers, and we, okay. we make a, a level 1-1, one, one, but the Goomba is one tile to the right, like, who's ca- who cares? That's not variation. Okay. Or the phrase Richard used was for minimum degree of difference. That is, at what point do um, do things in a game need to be different for us to actually notice it, or for us to, or for it to really be meaningful to us? And I guess an example better... of a Goomba being one tile to the right, or a Goomba being one point two times faster than a normal Goomba is like—is that really a new enemy? Okay. So then. I would say in Sins of Solar Empire, at least as long as we're talking about like unit statistics and cost um, and those numerical values, um, those all matter as variation because mm-hmm. like the idea of this game is that you are like everything is distributed. No single element is significant enough to change the flow of the game i don't think a good strategy game would ever let that happen because Mm -hmm. that takes away the idea of like the distributed control in that case then one thing does become sort of an avatar of the player and a center of interest and i think actually to use to pull in something totally random i feel like that's where tower defense games differ from strategy games um but without going on that tangent you need a force of like 20 or 25 or 50 ships to get anything done. So you're talking about sums of um, those values, like how much damage can so many things do collectively? How much does it cost to um, build this many ships? How much is my income going to be if I have this many planets? Um, And how much does a 5% increase in that actually have an effect depending on how much income I'm making. So so you're if I understand you correctly you're talking about how each unit composes or each unit plays a role in the structure of your fleet and so if you want a fleet that's more geared towards fighting a certain kind of craft then you'll tweak your fleet a little towards uh, this end of the things and Having so many different units allows you to color your fleet uh, with strategic subtlety. Right, and 
you know, there's more that you can do. You know, if you want to be anti-light frigates, say you're building long-range missile frigates, in addition to that, you can do some different research that will make you more effective against those things. And so there's like a multiplicative effect of any small difference that means that I don't think there is a minimum level of variation. Right. And there's also like a unity through like because everything comes down to what your resources are like or your actions are permitted and this might be getting away from variation but because um all of your actions are sort of waged against your resources like you can't build a ship or sorry not all of your actions i shouldn't say that because you can certainly command things without resources but um like building ships, doing research, uh, a lot of your fundamental actions are gauged by resources, which means that everything is essentially intertwined. Um, if a ship costs a certain amount of credits to build, that's going to affect how much research you can do at this moment or how long it's going to be until you can do research again or to build the next ship or whatever. So it all comes down to a single point like, drives the entire game. Whereas in Mario, if there's one Goomba that you move one tile to the right, um, even if you said that that was a valid variation or a noticeable variation, once the player gets past that screen, that no longer has any effect on the game. And there's no point in Sins at which something you did in the past does not have an effect on where you are in the game. It's like we're in a constant Mm -hmm. state of um, suspension. Right. Mm-hmm. To me, I think it's 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 pretty obvious all the units in this game are different. So, you know, variation isn't a factor. I guess where variation may be more interesting question is between the races, where they all have the same ship types, but like what are, what what makes the races different is probably a more interesting question for variation because they are similar, but it's like what are the things that actually make them different and make them different from playing the TEC versus, you know, the Advent. Just before we move on, Fox, I wanted to ask, um, do you think it is meaningful that we have two types of resources to mine, both the crystal and the metal? Do you think that um, lends itself well to Sins? Yeah, yeah, uh, very well, I think. Um, so if, without, without the, if we were to split them into one resource, metal and crystals just being some sort of or resource? What does that change? So it changes the um, fundamental ability to, like, differentiate uh, pricing, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it does allow... Actually, I was saying everything comes down to a single point, but I guess when we talk about having multiple resources, that's a way of breaking that out a little bit and making certain things more independent from each other. Like... For instance, light frigates you can build without spending any crystal. So if you really need crystal, um, you can just build light frigates for a while and not have to worry about that resource. So it's like an abstract point at which things can be differentiated. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on, uh, our last term to cover is counterpoint, which are concurrent game ideas or challenges. So this is a little easier to think about in action games because um, 
if you have one enemy, that's a game idea. If you have another enemy, that's another game idea. And then you just put those two enemies in the same room, and you have counterpoint because those two enemies will interact with you at the same time. Um, that's, I mean, like uh, maybe if you're roughing it, that's guess, true, but that's not necessarily <laughs> the case. Yeah, I mean, I was if, about you to say, Goomba, if you put a wall in the middle of the room and put one Goomba on the left of it and one Goomba on the right of it, those are not <laughs> going to have any counterpoint. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you get and, the basic idea. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. Yeah, the, and I guess just to clarify, like maybe just for Fox, is that they also need to be, you know, different ideas because if it's just like two like, say, two Octrox and Zelda, that's just a more intense version of the same thing. Something <clears throat> like Azora. I don't think that what? is... I mean, they'll be different in space, and so you'll have to counter them from different angles or something. Uh, if you have one enemy that's attacking, or two identical enemies, and one is attacking at the same time the other one is blocking, surely that's a different challenge than both of them attacking at the same time, or just one attacking, right? You're right. That is a different challenge. And to me, I would point that to variation. But as far as I would say game ideas, like mm-hmm. that's when I would say that it's what I just said earlier, where like, say, fighting two Octrox is just a more intense version of the same thing. That is an enemy that moves around, stops and shoots a, a rock that I can block with my shield. It's kind of like in shmups where you're de- dealing with whether it's four or five of the same ship types or just one of it. The thing is, uh, if they're all like the same ship type, it's what I said, like a more intense version of the same thing. But if it's like, say, five ships and one of those weird snake things from Metal Black, then that's two distinct game ideas because it's two different enemy types. And that's when I would say, you know... I think I might sure. Wait, agree um, with you. Kind of oh. Yeah, okay. Yes, do your thing. So, Fox, does the idea of Counterpoint make sense? I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Uh, I'm trying to think of what's... What's this? So here's the thought I have right now that, that I'm getting from your guys' explanations is that it, it's not just a game idea, which is where you've got like, in the situation it's Mario on the left and a Goomba on the right walking towards him. In the situation we know how to deal with the Goomba, you jump on him. A counterpoint is when you introduce another game element. Now, does that game element have to interfere with the first game element, that game idea, or does it is it totally separate? It's uh, just it has to be in some like proximity. concurrent space. Like if Mario can only jump say like ten or two character heights and you have a Koopa a paratroopa flying overhead mm-hmm. at four character heights, then that's not counterpoint because Mario has no way of interacting with that thing that's above right. the Goomba. But okay. if the paratroopa is only two character heights above the ground, then it is within the concurrent space because Mario can be in that space at the same time as he's attacking the Goomba or whatever, or interacting with a thing on the ground. Okay. And I don't, I don't mean to say this uh, what is it, like in like a challenging way. What's the, what's the point of this concept? What does it uh, get you... What's the point of it trying to get me so to I, think about? I think, generally speaking, the idea is that counterpoint is a way of making things more interesting. So if you have two things that do this, or if you never have two things on screen at the same time, then you have a very limited amount of challenges you can afford the player. Um, Whereas 
if you only have three elements and you put them together, you get a lot more combinations than just three. Right. The idea is that each combination of elements is a distinct challenge from each other. Right. Okay. And it makes things into... It makes the game more dynamic when things are able to layer over each other like that. And yeah, more interesting. So I guess we're getting stuck on the word counterpoint. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a term Bard, Richard Bard from music because he plays piano. I'm assuming that these elements have to directly influence each other, which isn't true. It's it's more, I guess, variation in the, the, the situation. Yeah. So if you think about... Do you know what it means musically? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> musically, counterpoint, you could just... Wait, counterpoint is just two melodies going on at the same time, right? Exactly. So it's like if your guitar is playing one melody and your piano is playing a different melody, then... Um, you have counterpoint. So the guitar is not actively affecting what the piano player plays or vice versa, but they together yeah. affect the listener differently uh, because well, the listener hears them at the same time. So they do have an influence on the situation as a whole. Exactly. Correct. Yes. To the like, experience they do, but they don't need to directly affect each other. No, they do. Well, I... I I, I want to argue that they have to, but I guess that's going off point. I think they, it's that maybe I'm making it worse. They implicitly affect each other, but the right. piano player doesn't have to take his hands off the piano to play yeah. the guitar melody. Yeah. That's, okay, it, we're on the same ground. So, Fox, if you, if you had to, how would you apply this to Sins? So... Counterpoint in Sins is everywhere. Um, it's, it's, it's a game of it's a game of systems, um, systems yep. of, of units, system of other players. Um, it's especially got to do with the exploration exploration aspect of the game um, because you're placed somewhere on this uh, tree-like system. You have to figure out firstly where your safe spot is, and then where you can go from there. And then the first point you hit a branch. You've got counterpoint. You have to, or, or you know, I guess you've got counterpoint because you have to, you have to think of more than one thing at a time. Right. So if you start at your home planet and you send a scout to the right and you send a scout to the left, you know you might have a piano on your left and you might have a guitar on your right. Exactly. And we consider that counterpoint because, because Sins of a Solar Empire is a game of limited resources and limited time. Whether you decide to send units to the left and which units you decide to send to the right uh, has an impact on one another and has an impact on the global uh, availability of resources. So this is interesting because as you guys were explaining the concept to me, I was thinking of it in in terms of how uh, the game will affect multiple things onto the player, but this seems to be the other way around. Where the game, the player will be forced to affect themselves, to split their split their own resources up upon the game world. I think that makes uh, sense. Do you agree, Adrian, or or Greg, or yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be uh, another situation where it's happening, or we can describe the concept at multiple levels, um, where maybe what I was, what Fox just said, was sort of. Um, following on from what I said about variation, which probably fits better under counterpoint, 
in that like everything is drawing from the same pool. But uh, likewise, there's a level at which it's happening where um, the challenge of 10 light frigates is a different challenge from five light frigates and five missile frigates. Mm. Um, So those units are like, that's a way that the units themselves or um, like the actual game elements are creating counterpoint where at a strategic level, it comes to light in more the way you were describing. Yeah. So yourself, what's a smaller level at which we might have counterpoint? The thing I just said about ships. Yeah, never mind. Sorry. (laughs) 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 Um, Adrian, does that make sense to you? No, yeah. I I try to say, "Mm mm-hmm. Whenever someone's saying something, so I don't have to interject, say, I agree. So, <laughs> well, I just wanted to make yeah, sure you didn't have anything to add on. No, what he said was um, on point because, and this is one of the reasons why counterpoint is like the highest level because it's when mechanics interplay and variation, when all those things come together. Because, you know, it's not really counterpoint if they don't work, but you're trying to describe you know, the flow and the momentum of playing Sins and what that's like. So that's why it's one of the hardest things to talk about. But um, Right, the idea is that yeah. mechanics, interplay, and variation outline uh, a general game idea where you are interacting with something in the game. And then if those three mm-hmm. things go into a game idea, to be talking about concurrent game ideas means talking about those three things happening in different ways. All yes. at the same time. So I think it's interesting though that in this situation, were were we really able to isolate any of those things to just two game elements interacting? Like I think in Mario you can do that, but in Sins of a Solar Empire, I feel like for all of those we came up with examples of how they generalize to affect like everything in the game. Or the sorry, like interplay for instance governs every action the player does. I think that's, uh, I mean, the usefulness of these definitions is that you're always doing most of them. You know, if you're always doing mechanics, interplay, and variation, if not counterpoint. And they're just different perspectives of, uh, you know, functions of the game. Yeah, so what I was saying was I don't feel like there's, like, I don't know that counterpoint succeeds from the other ones in this particular case, because if you talk about the counterpoint of, you know, having to split your forces, then that generalizes down, or the reason that you're doing that is because you're budgeting your resources. And that simultaneously is happening when you're considering, like, the variation of challenges. um, Mm -hmm. Where, like, everything... I don't know. I just feel like everything happens at the same level. There is no single challenge. Is that what you mean? Right. Because it's, yeah. And I think that this comes down to me like that it's a strategy game. um, That, yeah, you can't isolate anything. You are always talking about multiple units doing multiple things. Right, and you need to uh, always be considering the mechanics, or in terms of, I guess if you're talking about the mechanical definition I was saying about things, how things affect each other, maybe that's interplay. 
that always needs to be a consideration. Um, it's always happening. Um, and it's always happening in all the areas of the game at the same time. Because it's all about distributed player control. Yeah, it's not like with Mario where counterpoint is something that you can easily point to and say, here's, you know, three different enemies that are all in within, you know, the screen's borders that are all within close proximity to Mario that causes him to to move in different ways where they all, you know, by themselves. And sins that's, you know, way harder to really, like, point out because it's, like, as Fox put it, like, that kind of shit's happening all the time everywhere. And even when something isn't interacting with you, they're still having a meaningful impact on the game state because they're collecting resources and building ships. Yeah, even when you start the game, it's always changing <laughs> whether you do anything. So I, I, th- I think the only way they, 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 that we can point to that they try and realize this is in the different sorts of map generate uh, the maps they allow you to play on. Um, I mean, you might have there. There are certain maps that are generated where they specifically place you. Like right next to the to a, to a player, uh, they'll change the map so that it's got some scarcity of resource. I mean, you're trying to point to a to a specific example of something that's always in the game. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I guess we talked a lot oh, about yeah. um, ships, but you're right. There is level like we design. act like there's no such thing yeah. as level design in the game, but there is. Yeah, right. And uh, one of the points of variation we could have mentioned is. Like, different types of planets have different resource loads and different populations. So, like, an ice planet will always have lots of crystal and a lower population than a desert planet. They also require, like, different resources or different research for you to um, take. So, that allows for a level, a, a sort of level design, which I think is something that might be easier to talk about specific to sins mm-hmm. versus combat. Mm-hmm. Because the idea of like using planets is not... Like, a web of planets is, of course, not exactly how every strategy game works. All right. Huh. Um, yeah. did, any, did anyone have anything else to add on sins? Uh, no, I think Fox was um, really on point with bringing up the maps because that is something worth looking at, especially with Counterpoint. Because I know with Counterpoint... Um, that is something very helpful to use when looking at level design. And as yourself brought up, there is actually kind of a level design in this. And that's probably the most, looking to the maps is the most useful point where we'll get counterpoint at this game. And what is like the flow of combat in this map versus this other map mm-hmm. versus trying to talk about it in a more generic level? Because the thing is, like, unlike Mario, where levels are mostly static, the counterpoint is basically determined by the other player. Yeah, in Mario, the level is everything. In a strategy game, the level is it's sort of not as important. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a sandbox. It's it's a place we we play in. It's, it happens to have certain features, but most of it's driven by the way the other people are playing around. Yeah, that, so and that speaks that, to the the four X aspect of Sins, doesn't it? I would say that kind of speaks more to the, to the multiplayer or competitive multiplayer aspect of it because that's kind of the difficulty I have with talking about fighting games is that a lot of the gameplay is going to be determined by how, how the other player. But also the how fact that players are investing resources and changing planets to fit their needs. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's correct to say it's 
something about anything to do with the 4X aspect of it, though. I would say if you wanted to look at it from a genre perspective, I think it's sort of my it being a god game. Mm. That there are lots of things you can do at any given point in time. Like when I was saying, you could call every single player command a mechanic. That's a lot more mechanics than Mario has. Right. Um, oh yeah. So because of that, uh, yeah, there's way more freedom, and that's that's something you'll find in any strategy game. Like, I mean, StarCraft or Command and Conquer certainly have maybe not this level of uh, multiplicity, but certainly uh, much more than yeah, Mario or something. Yeah. All right. So uh, before we leave, Fox, if you had to colonize a planet, what type of planet would you want to colonize? <laughs> Uh, is this in Sins or just generally? Yeah, yeah. Out of the planet types from Sins of a Solar Empire. <laughs> um, I'm always low on crystal, so I, I, I need an ice planet. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. I'm not going to be with you there. Uh, <laughs> Adrian, what type of planet would you colonize? Uh, I colonize a dwarf planet, which would oh. be Pluto. Okay. And yourself, what type of planet would you colonize? I would colonize a Terran planet because I am a human. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that makes one of us. Um, Adrian, any last words? Yes, I'm off to conquer Pluto. Ooh, okay. uh, (laughs) (laughs) See you in a couple thousand years. Anyways, uh, what I was going to say is I hope to keep playing Sins more. I really want to explore more of this game. And have some more definitive thoughts, or at least a more coherent way of talking about this. I feel okay with what we did now, but... um, You wanted to beat hard, can... right? Yeah, I want to beat the damn hard AI at least <laughs> once on each map size. So that I can get... Because, you know, that actually would help us with talking to my counterpoints. Like, what's the difference between playing on a... Even just something more general, like... A... So, I want to know the difference. So, something like knowing the difference between playing on... A tiny map versus playing on one of those super big ones. I would like to know that. So yeah, yeah. I'll I give like you a heads give... up. It's a lot different. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine it makes more the research tree more meaningful the bigger it is. Yeah, that's the idea. So yourself, um, any final words? No, I guess this match I've been playing while we're talking. I must have gotten a super baby AI because <laughs> I'm playing on hard, but. He's only attacked me once, and we've been talking for, like, over an hour. Oof. And it was a really, like, terrible attack. It was, like, <laughs> nine light frigates and five corvettes. Oof. Harsh. Uh, Fox, any know. final words? Uh, it, it struck me how, how easy it is to overlook level design in a game like this. Yeah. But I'm, 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 look, going forward, I'd like to think more about how different maps are going to affect the way I'm playing. And... If there aren't certain natural ways to uh, traverse certain kinds of maps. Okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess you would think that for level design to be meaningful, mm-hmm. it would have to influence, like, what type of units you're using and yeah, what exactly. type of structures you're building. So, yeah, it would be interesting to. I mean, like I said, big maps definitely do make a difference but i uh have not experimented a lot with the preset maps i think i usually play randoms all right well thank you all for joining me hopefully we'll get to talk some more about sins cool
I was going to say in the Sins podcast, if I recall correctly, we kind of uh, viewed Counterpoint as having like like each planet is a different base and it will be composed of different units and different resources. And so trying to attack two planets at once would be kind of Counterpoint, like dividing your attention between two different challenges there. <coughs> Counterpoint mostly describes a type of level design and level design is typically not uh, the normal ways we think of level design are typically not applied to multiplayer games right so mario you know he has a sequence of things he has to do and it's linear to you go basically through the left to the right side and you encounter these sequences so we can then look at what's involved in those sequences and how they're ordered but multiplayer games in general are more like a sandbox if you will they give you open arenas which are areas where conflict can happen all over in these different areas but then it's just, from there it's just up to the players to fight however they want so we typically don't use things like um like counterpoint or pacing in the same way we do when we talk about like movies or 2d platformer levels so in general, counterpoint would be analyzing how the layers, the different elements and layers in the level um, are designed to encourage interaction between the two layers and how the interacting with the layers um, sets up the player for discovering things and, and, and overcoming certain challenges uh, based on how they were kind of pushed down certain avenues and certain paths and how ideas are transmitted because they tried to do one thing and it gives them the idea to do another. Like we look at all that stuff for Mario, but for real-time strategy games, you really don't think of it that way. There's not only are the maps like incredibly rehearsed because there's a handful of them and players just sort of like run these set plays for their openings. And then it's just based on whatever the other player does that determines their next move. Right. But, um, that's kind of interesting um, in comparison to Sins of a Solar Empire, where uh, you know there are some predetermined maps, but uh, a lot of the time what you're doing is playing on a randomly generated map where you say, "I want 33 planets, and I want you know so many planets of this type, and etc." Mm-hmm. And um, rather than a typical RTS where the maps are just pre-designed. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, ultimately, it's this um, when your opponent is supplying most of what you are either concerned about, must respond to, or what you're interested in. You don't really consider um, more advanced terms and methods for analyzing level design because there really is no level until your opponent gets in there and starts doing stuff. So (laughs) that's kind of another way of thinking about it. Right. Because... Yeah, I had an inkling we might have been misapplying the term because I remember asking about counterpoint before, and mm. the example you gave me was um, in Zelda and Octorok, you know, mixed with uh, a Zora. <laughs> that was that's the exact one I used because, you know, two different enemy types, two different ideas, in mostly in the same space. And I was thinking, well, if that's the parallel to that in an RTS, is you know whatever army formation they have so say they have a bunch of long-range units mixed in with a bunch of you know light frigates or whatever yeah that's kind of what i thought yeah there's definitely ways for the gameplay to have all these interesting combinations and layers we typically just consider that we just talk about like 
for RTSs, we talk about unit composition. We talk about we talk about short-term tactical strategies. We talk about strategies and things like that, but um, not not really using the words counterpoint. And we don't really talk about layers because, like I said, it just depends on what the player is going for. And then if they do something, we just call that like, oh, that's a good strategy. That's a good composition they're using. They're using the uh, blink stalkers to cover the high ground and then they're using the whatever on the low ground to block them you're like yeah it's a, it looks like a great combination but it's not it's not the same as that combination existing already and then people have to go through the area and encounter it and then um, work their way through it or discover it like a set combination so because multiplayer is so highly emergent right we recognize general things like strategies general pushes general uh, compositional strength, but because it's not set in stone and it's so fluid, uh, both in what's being thrown out and how it's being countered, we don't typically talk about that in terms of layered level design. It's just more like cool player strategies.